This morning, we are going to continue our class on the topic of parenting. This will be part two of the lesson that we began last week, entitled, What is the Family? Last week, we considered how our children will not remain cultureless. They will be enculturated to something. And God's design is that the family would be the community in which our children learn. It is to be the primary learning community for our children. Yes, the church can support the family, the state can protect the family, but it is the parent's job to create in the home the primary learning community for children. That learning community is to be first and foremost a theological community. That is a community where parents are instructing their children about God, about how the world that he made operates and how we are to function inside that world. Now we're going to continue with a second lesson on this topic of what is the family. There's a, there's a second thing that you need to know about your children. They were created by God to be interpreters. Parents, don't ever say to your children, the problem with you is you don't think. Your children never stop thinking. They may think improperly. They may think foolishly. But you've given birth to interpreters. Let me give you a principle. You may want to get this down. Human beings made in the image of God, human beings made in the image of God, do not live life based on the facts of their experience. Human beings made in the image of God do not live life based on the facts of their experience but based on their interpretation of the facts. Human beings made in the image of God do not live life based on the facts of their experience, but rather on their interpretation of the facts. You've given birth to a little human being who is incessantly going to interpret the world around him. And your words and behavior are always the byproduct of the way you've interpreted the situation that you're in. You're always thinking things about you. You're always thinking things about others. You're always thinking things about God. You're always thinking things about the nature and purpose of life. You're Your children are philosophers. Your children are theologians. Your children are archaeologists who will dig through the mound of their existence and try to make sense out of life. If you pay attention, you can see that very young. Today I drove into Atlanta and had lunch with my youngest son and his girlfriend, uh, Darnay is 24 years old, and he's a sports broadcaster. He's in Macon. And um, when Darnay was three years old, he knew that his daddy had a doctor in front of his name. And he knew that I saw people for, for appointments. And he reasoned in his little mind that I must be a medical doctor. I'm not one of those. And he was one day out in our backyard 
wandering around like three-year-olds do. Uh, you know, three-year-olds live by the Columbus method, land and discover. And he wandered in front of his older brother who had a broken rake handle and was hitting stones over the fence into the neighbor's yard. I always ask him to do that before I mowed. That's a joke for you overly serious people in the room. And Ethan took this great big mighty swing just as Darnay walked in front of him. He hit him full swing in the forehead, knocked him down to the ground. His head split open. He began to bleed profusely. Well, I knew something had happened because older sister was uh, responding as the familial siren. She just started to scream. And you know how you can hear the siren go by your house? It sounded like she was running laps around the yard because her voice would get distant and near. Daddy, 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 I ran to the backyard and Ethan, the perpetrator of the crime, is now carrying his bleeding brother and he's pleading his legal case. Daddy, am I in trouble? How much trouble am I in, daddy? I yelled for him to put Darnay down on the floor. I called for paper towels. Nicole is now running laps around the kitchen screaming. Ethan now is plea bargaining. I'll never go in the backyard again. I'll never pick up a rake handle again. I'll never hit stones again. Daddy, how much trouble am I in? Now, I'm not a squeamish man, but this was a bloody scene. And I thought I may have to call that emergency number 911, and I couldn't form that number in my brain. I had 999-111-919-191. I had all the combinations except for 911. Uh, Ethan now is, is just crying because he thinks he's in terrible trouble. Nicole is about ready to pass out. And I look at little Darnay, and he's utterly at peace, bleeding as he is. And I, I notice his little lips are moving. So I put my ear down to its little mouth, and I hear him repeating over and over again, I'm just so thankful my daddy is a doctor. Poor deluded boy. I can't even think of a three-digit number at this point, let alone offer him medical assistance. You see what he's doing? He's not responding to the facts, but to his particular interpretation of the facts. He's way more comfortable than he ought to be. And the only place you get absolutely reliable interpretations of life, hear this, is at the feet of the Creator, who knows everything beyond origin and beyond destiny and tells us all the essential things we need to know about life. There's a third thing. The children you've given birth to are worshipers. Now, that's a tricky word, because when you hear the word worship, Very often, you're tempted to think Sunday morning, singing, an offering, uh, a sermon. You think of a service, but I want you to hear me say this. Worship is first an identity before it's ever an activity. These children are worshipers. They will give their hearts to something. They will attach their identity to something. They will look to something to give them meaning and purpose. Worship is not something you just do on Sunday. It is the fundamental direction system of every human being. We're always worshiping something. As one of my favorite theologians, Bob Dylan, 
said, you got to serve somebody. Now, you see this. If you pay attention, you see this young also. Uh, Let's pretend you have young children and you take one of your children to Toys R Us. Don't go there. The devil's in that place. (laughs) But you're a pretty smart parent. And, you know, if you put your child in that seat in the cart and you drive the cart down the middle of the aisles, his or her arms won't be big enough, long enough to grab all the things they'd like to have as they're almost in a drug experience seeing all of those toys at once. But you get to the final checkout aisle and it's a conspiracy against your parenting. Because right there at eye level are... $7.95, $8.95, blister-wrapped items. And little Johnny says to his mommy, Mommy, can I have one of those? Mommy says, Johnny, I'm not going to buy you anything else. But, 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 Mommy, it's a Captain X Bunko figure. And I don't have any of those. Johnny, Mommy said she's not buying you anything else, but Billy has all of them. He even has the PlayStation. I'm the only boy I know that has to go to somebody else's house even to hold a Bonko figure. Mommy, if you buy me this, I'll never, ever ask for anything ever again. (laughs) Johnny, Mommy said she's not going to buy you anything else. Mommy bought you a puzzle. And at that point, Johnny goes, ah, and begins to scream. It's one of those moments where you wish life had trap doors, where you could just disappear and take a tube home. Uh, you're, you're, you're aware of people walking by with their carts. Now, what's going on there? If you think that's just an encounter between you and Johnny, you've missed the point. Hear this, Johnny doesn't want a mom who will provide for him. Johnny doesn't want a God who will provide for him. Johnny wants to be that God. Johnny wants to think and it will happen. Johnny wants to speak and it will be done. And if you stand in Johnny's way, there will be hell to pay. I mean, think about this. Have you ever seen the body of a wordless infant stiffen up in anger? This child cannot yet talk. You've fed him. You've changed him. You've sung every song in your glorious repertoire. He's finally asleep, and you start out the room, and as you get to the threshold of the door, he pushes himself up on his arms. He stiffens his body, and he screams. He's saying, oh, no, you don't. You will not leave this room. I love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. I am the Lord. (laughs) That's worship. That's worship. You see, it is very, very, very important that these little revelation receivers, these interpreters, these worshipers are pointed to God again and again and again and again and again and again. 
Because if you don't put God at the center of the universe, your child will put himself or herself at the center of the universe, and that's the one place that child must never be. That's a place for God and God alone. And some of you already are struggling with teenagers who absolutely have themselves at the center of the universe. They think that nothing in all of the world is more important than their wants, their needs, their feelings, and they are quite ready to defend themselves against any attempt to tell them that anything else is important. This is big practical stuff. But the family is meant to be another kind of community. It's meant to be a sociological community. You say, what does that mean? Well, if the first point was the first great command, worship God above all else, this is the second great command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is all about relationships. This is about our children must understand that they've been designed to live in community. They've been designed to live in self-sacrificing love of neighbor. Let me say this again. They've been designed to live in self-sacrificing love of neighbor. Now think about your house. How good are you at living as a loving community. Working in your family? Let's recognize what a great struggle it is to love. My problem is not just that I don't love my enemies. My problem is I struggle to love the people that I say I love. Think about it. I would go out when my children were still at home on Saturday, and I'd buy donuts for them. They loved it. And there'd be one final donut left on the tray. I've never had one of my children say this. You know, I love donuts, but I'd find a much higher pleasure sharing this donut with one of my siblings that I love so. I didn't hear that. My children would descend into what I would call donut acquisition behavior. Anybody still hungry? Who had the donut the last time? About then my daughter would say, who is the Philadelphia lawyer in our family, who would say, Dad, it's not fair. I'd say, what's not fair? She'd say, the last time we had donuts, you promised me I could have the final donut. It was six months ago. You were sitting to my left. You had a blue shirt on. It was 1035. It was raining outside. You had just gotten up to get a cup, cup of tea. And you said, about then her brother says, it's only a donut, get a life, because he wants the donut. And as an act of distinct parental love, I ate the donut. <laughs> or you're running to the bathroom uh, in the morning in that frenetic rush to get yourself ready, and you have one more thing to do in there, and the door is closed. Think about your response. You have never said to yourself, isn't it wonderful that somebody will be ready in a timely manner? You stand at the door and you bellow, who's in the bathroom? As if it's a heinous crime. Now, something weird always happened in our family. No one would ever give a name. Does that happen in your family? They would say this, somebody's in here. I'd say, well, do you know him? 
or my wife and I realized that if many, many years ago, if our marriage was going to sustain a busy ministry life and four children, we needed to spend time outside of the house with one another. And we decided at least once a week we'd be out of the house together and because we want to be with one another, we want to be able to talk, uh, we didn't go play golf or one-on-one basketball or something like that, we'd usually end up at a restaurant, someplace where it was quiet so we could just talk. And we have very similar taste and we would often order the very same meal. Say a meal that had a chicken breast in it. Now this would always happen. When my meal served... I'm served the breast of an anorexic quail. And Luella served the breast of a seriously obese turkey. I'm immediately irritated. And I want to get that plate in front of me without seeming as selfish as I actually am. So I'll say something like this. What do you think of the portions? She never gets it. She'll say there's enough for tonight and for lunch. And that struggle to love is, is just so beautifully pictured by this illustration my brother Ted gives. Uh, he and Marge have been married for a long time. They're getting a little bit up there in age, and they're, they're careful with what they eat, but they love ice cream. And so Ted will say to Margie, would you, Margie, would you like just a little dish of ice cream? She said, yeah, I would. He says, I'll get it. And he makes him this little dish of ice cream. Now he's being the servant, and as he walks the ice cream to Margie, he's doing this. You know what he's doing? He's weighing the portions. This woman has cleaned his socks and underwear for 40 years, and he'll cheat her out of a spoonful of ice cream. Now listen. Parents, listen to the question. Are you a daily living example to your children of self-sacrificing love? Moms and dads, your children are not your indentured servants given by God so you don't have to get up out of chairs and do things. You can just bark orders at these little slaves. That's not teaching your children to love. That's teaching your child, the person who has the most power, has the right to be selfish. Do your children watch you make specific and continual sacrifices as acts of love for the people that you live with and they live with. You can't teach love without loving. Love means you're willing to get up earlier than you'd want to get up. You're willing to stay up later than you'd want to stay up. You're willing not to watch things on television or not to participate in activities because of the needs that are for you. You're willing to have that same conversation again and again and again in patient, gracious love. You're willing to have a little less money, live in a little lesser house, drive a little bit of a lesser car in order to have the time that's necessary to invest in your children. Are you an example of self-sacrificing love? 
Are you? And are you raising children who have learned the value of love and learned the blessing of the love and as they exit the home, they're ready to love. I think one of the big points of crisis in Western culture is we're sending generations of young people out in the world that have no understanding or commitment to love whatsoever. No wonder marriage doesn't work. There's a third focus of this learning community. It's that the family is meant by God to be a redemptive community. You see, if I hold up this standard of worship high before my children, and I hold up this standard of love high before my children, they ought to begin to feel the weight of that standard. That ought to begin to produce some frustration in them because they don't love God the way they should and they don't love the neighbor, their neighbor the way they should. And that should begin to create this frustration inside of them. Parents, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The Bible says that God's law is a schoolmaster to bring your children to Christ. One of the things that our culture says is the last thing you ever want to have happen is that a child would feel bad about himself. Can I say this? Baloney. There is something broken inside of your child. There's something wrong inside of him or her. The Bible names it sin. And sin makes me not want to worship God and not want to love others. And as your children begin to break under the standard because they find those standards heavy and they find those standards difficult, parents, that's a good thing. That is beginning to create in them a sense of need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear this. God's love, God's grace, God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is only ever attractive to a sinner. I think we are too good in the church of Jesus Christ of raising up self-righteous little Pharisees. They learn the biblical lingo. They memorize the verses. They know how to act in public. But their hearts don't really belong to God because They have an experience, that inner neediness, when I begin to realize I am not what God made me be. I don't like to do what God has designed for me to do. And you get there by holding those standards high. I was going to bed one evening, and I would often visit the rooms of my children after they were asleep and just pray for them. And I was walking down the hall, and I heard my daughter crying in her bed. I sat down next to her, and I said, baby doll, what's the matter? She said, I can't talk. I said, yes, you can. I'm your dad. You can say anything to me. Nothing you could say would ever turn me away. I love you. She said, but it's hard. I said, I know it's hard, but you're, you're my daughter. I love you. I'm your dad. There's nothing you could say to me that would turn me away. She said, I'm frustrated. I said, okay. Talk to me. She says, well, I can't. I said, yes, you can. I'm your dad. I love you. There's nothing you can say to me that would turn me away. She says, I'm frustrated at you and mom. I said, all right. And then she said, tears streaming down her face, I can't do what you're asking me to do. 
It's not enough that you make me share with my brothers, one girl, three boys. But you tell me I'm supposed to find joy in it. I don't find joy in it. When you make me share, I'm mad at you and I'm mad at them. I can't do it. Parents, hear what I'm about to say. I was never happier as a father because she's got it. She can't do it. She needs the rescuing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that we are all too skilled at raising children in Christian homes who feel no need for God's help. Who don't feel like they need grace. Who actually feel like they're okay. I think one of the big issues for our kids, parents, hear me say this, is not unrighteousness, it's self-righteousness. And that night, that 12-year-old girl prayed for God's help. When she said, I can't do it, I said, baby doll, I can't either. The Bible says I should love your mommy like Christ loves the church, being willing to give my life up for her. I said, you live with me. You know sometimes I'm irritated when mommy asks me to take out the trash. She smiled, but I said, there's help for us. Not only does God forgive us, but he gives us his power in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now look at me. Does your home produce that? Are you a learning community? I think that we have bought the world's values. We think success has to do with SAT scores. We think that success has to do with athletic prowess and musical ability. And we're so busy chasing all of that stuff. We have little time to be a learning community. We have little time to have any conversation whatsoever. In fact, most of you will recognize that you're often irritated that you have to talk to your child because you just don't have time to do it. What's happened to us? Now, I love music. I love athletics. But we must have our values in place. Because if you have a brilliant athlete and a brilliant musician and a brilliant student who does not love God and does not serve Him, what's the value of all of that? We're different. We believe in the center of this world is a God of grace. And we believe that we were born into this world as broken people. And when a broken person emits his brokenness and moves toward that God of grace, wonderful things happen. That's the family. If I watched the video of your last six weeks, would that be what I saw? Would I say, yeah, this is a learning community? Or would I see a family that goes to church on Sunday, 
but they're running after everybody else's dream, just like everybody else is. And they have little time for relationship, let alone meaningful, educational, God-oriented community. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for the way it speaks right into the places where we live. May we be that learning community. In Jesus' name, amen.